Welcome back to Bible Time, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is an exciting verse and an exciting book and an exciting time that we're living in today. And we're excited to preach it, excited to bring it, excited to learn it, excited to hear it, excited to live it. Thank you, God, for this word. Help us today in Jesus' name. Bless us, Father, with understanding. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful truth that thou hast for us, Father. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our hearts to understand. Touch my lips, Lord God. Fill me with thy spirit. Give me power and unction and utterance to declare the word of the Lord as it is in truth, the word of the Lord and not the word of men. We ask this in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, we're continuing the the same sentence that was um, going on all the way back. If you look there to the very start of verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you. And from that point on, we have semicolons and colons, and the sentence doesn't ever really end until uh, much later even. We're not even going to get there till the end of chapter 1. This is the rest of the the rest of this part is one sentence from verse 3 to the end of chapter 1 in verse 12 is all one sentence and it's all broken up with colons and semicolons but it is one thought, one complete thought and you have to take it in its context. Here he's talking about this righteous thing that God would recompense tribulation to them that trouble you in verse 6 and then here he goes on in the next breath or maybe even the same breath depending on how fast he preached um, it could have been the same breath. He says and to you who are troubled rest with us and to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He goes on there in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, Lord willing, We'll look at verse 8 tomorrow. Whenever we were studying verse 6 last, uh, we ended right in the middle of the book of Revelation. We didn't have time to go on and continue reading, and I believe that that was of the Lord. Um, it really works out because we're going to kind of pick off, pick up where we left off a little bit here. But as we take this verse apart and put it back together, we can see that the first part is, and to you that are troubled. He addresses these that are troubled, whereas in verse 6, he said it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So God's going to trouble people that are troubling his church who are the troubled people that he's talking to here in this verse. And he's contrasting the trouble that God will bring on those who trouble his church with the trouble that the church is in during today. So he says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. So these that are troubled are Christ's true church. These that are troubled are those that he said in verse three, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. We looked at the true church whenever we looked at these last few verses. He says in verse four, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. And we notice that not only is there a church that is the body of Christ across the whole world, that will be gathered together in heaven, but there are local churches and that God acts as if each local church is the church. He deals with the local church as an autonomous individual entity. And we looked at how these churches are glorying and what God's doing in this other local church of the church of the Thessalonians here. And then in verse six, they're, they're suffering for the kingdom in verse five. In verse six, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So these that are troubling the church, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation. We read some of that um, recently. We'll look at that in just a second when we get there. Go to John chapter 16 real quick in your Bible. John chapter 16, Jesus Christ before he's crucified here giving instructions to his church to be though they're not considered a church yet. Um, John 16 and 33, they're a church in the eyes and the plan of God, though not in the eyes of the world. And he says here to the church in verse 33, these things have I spoken, I have spoken unto you, these things I have spoken unto you, that ye, that in me ye might have peace. Now that's kind of synonymous with the rest that he's talking about here in our verse. But he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. 
Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, the true church is going through tribulation right now. We've looked at this many times. We've talked about it many times. We've preached a whole message on it one time before. But right now, the true church of Jesus Christ is going through tribulation right now. You say, what are you, kingdom now? No, I'm tribulation now. I'm tribulation now for the true church, and I'm great tribulation later because that's what the Bible is. That's what the Bible teaches, the great tribulation is coming. And by the way, there's a church that's going through the great tribulation. Ben, hold on there. Let's go look at it. And then you can tell me I'm a heretic if you want to later, but let's at least look at the Bible. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Now in Revelation 16, we find that representatives of the true church under the altar here, and they're calling out to God. Uh, The verse five is not the one that I was looking for. But here they're calling out to God and they're saying, Righteous art thou, O Lord. And that would be in another chapter of Revelation. The true church there is calling out to God from under the altar. I missed my mark of which one that was supposed to be. Where was that? That was... That would be Revelation back in um, chapter 5 or 6 or 9. And they're calling out to God, Righteous art thou, and they're asking God to judge for them. Here in Revelation 16 and verse 5, the angel is speaking to the Lord. And it says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So this is this is extremely critical to get and understand the true church of Jesus Christ is marked by blood not by blood that it sheds but by giving its blood just as Jesus Christ came and gave his blood for the life of the world so the true church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages has been has been shown and has its heraldry in the red blood of its martyrs. You say, what's the true color of the church of Jesus Christ? If there's no other color that um, uh, that I can, there is no other color that I can even comprehend being more apt to be the color of the true church of Jesus Christ than red for the blood of Christ and red for the blood of the martyrs. The true church is marked in the blood of martyrs. If you want to know who the true church is throughout history, go back and look for people who believe in the inerrant, inspired, infallible, perfectly preserved word of God, and who are willing to die to be obedient to the word of God, even if it costs them their life and their liberty and their pursuit of happiness, and you will find the true church of Jesus Christ. It's not an easy trail to follow. It's hard to read. It's It's hard to digest because it's so difficult and covered with blood and violence and misery and suffering, but it is a trail that's marked with victory of the saints, the true church of Jesus Christ that has shed its blood throughout the centuries and now the millennia since Christ, two millennia have gone by and the true church of Jesus Christ has been hunted, harrowed, hounded, and killed on every corner. It's been hung. It's been had the next cut. They've been burned at the stake. They've been raped. They've been attacked. They've been um, stolen from the true church of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not their suffering alone. Again, it's their adherence to the word of God in the face of persecution, just like the church at Thessalonica that shows them to be a true church. And they have many different names that they go by down throughout the ages. There's been many different groups that have been able to claim the title of a true church of Jesus Christ. The Waldensians were able to claim it. Many other groups were able to claim it. Claim it. Many Baptist groups in the modern days have been able to claim it, but you can call yourself whatever you want. They, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. You can put the sign on the door, true church of Jesus Christ, and you can make the carpet red and the pews red and the hymnals red and the Bibles red and the ceiling red and the walls red. And you can say, this is for the blood of the martyrs and you can honor the slain. But if you're not following God and obedient to his word, then you're not part of the true church, no matter how much you do suffer. So here, these saints are contrasted here to verse chapter 17. The saints who died are contrasted here to another church. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You say, where's that other church? We're reading about her. 
and she is the great whore. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication." Now, while there is no other living representation of the great whore that more aptly fits this description than Vatican City, Rome, and the Pope himself, that yet this is not limited to only the Catholic Church. This extends to all false churches who name the name of Christ and yet have another gospel and another spirit that they preach with and by. And here is this church full of names of blasphemy, such as Mother of God, such as St. Paul and St. Peter, the way that they use the word saint. So here is this church full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, sodomy and misused altar boys and all this kind of stuff going on. Again, not limited only to the Catholic Church, but the greatest living representative of the great whore is the Roman Catholic Church. It says here upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now this, you can shut your eyes and shut your ears and bury your head in the sand and pretend like this isn't true and go to your ecumenical council and pretend like the Catholic Church is just another denomination of evangelicals, but it is absolute ignorance and willful ignorance to do that. Notice how she's covered with precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. If you go and look at the paintings and the pictures of the popes down through the years, they're decked in pearls. They're decked in costly stones. Listen to me today. The mark of the true church is not affluence. It is not wealth. It is not position. It is not prestige. The mark of the true church is cheerful suffering for Christ and adherence to the scriptures in the face of persecution. The true church of Jesus Christ believes in the inspired, infallible, inerrant, preserved word of God, believes that the word of God is the true and only source for all conviction and standards and rules of life, and that the Christian must obey God rather than man, even if it costs him his head. The true church of Jesus Christ is a church that has suffered throughout the ages. And here in this verse that we're looking at, it is a righteous thing with God in the previous verse to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you that are troubled rest with us. The troubled church is the true church. The tribulating church is the false church. The church that attacks the truth. The church that undermines the truth. The truth that circumvent the church that circumvents the truth. The church that attacks the true words of Jesus Christ is the false church. The harlot and her daughters. Now here, this true church in the Bible is seen by its suffering. The false church is here in the middle of the tribulation. There is a church going through the tribulation. It's amazing that there's many different doctrinal perspectives out there for um, the church being taken out of the tribulation, which is biblical, and then other tr- other doctrinal perspectives that would have the church going through the tribulation, and there's a reason for that. It's because there's more than one church. There's Christ's church, and then there's fake churches, and Christ's church will be going out. I will show you that in the Bible today. We're going to see that again. But the fake church is going through. And if you are, if you think, if you get confused and start thinking that the fake church is God's church, then it's no wonder you're going to be confused about the rapture. God's not rapturing the fake church. God is not taking the fake church out. The fake church is going into the tribulation and by the way, not going through it. We're going to look at what happens to this fake church and then we're going to move on. And and listen, the Pope himself, if he were to ever listen to this, I doubt he ever will. I'm a nobody and a nothing. I don't have any power or prestige. But if he did, I'd have to say, sir, with all due respect, you better watch out. The Antichrist is going to burn you with fire. Look what's going to happen right here. The Catholic Church, Vatican City, Rome is on death row, on death row. And it is not God who will do the final kill to that church and that group. It will be the Antichrist himself and all the nations of the world. Look at what it says here. 
Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Go back and get an old Fox's Book of Martyrs before they did all the edits and added in a bunch of Catholic priests and read the actual old book of Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you want to read about the reality of the Catholic Church and its doings down throughout the ages and the true church and see them side by side in the greatest contrast they've ever had in history, which was during the Dark Ages when the Catholic Church had free reign to do what it wants to do. And they would do that today, by the way, if they could. They would continue that today. And I'm not going to get into all that. And it says here, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The fake church is admirable. The, frank, the, the fake church has golden cups. The, frank, the fake church has the precious stones. The fake church is drunk with the blood of the martyrs. The fake church has power and prestige. Here he's wondering with great admiration. He's, his breath is taken away looking at this fake church. And a lot of people get sucked into the fake church because they get wowed by it. They get awed by it. Instead of getting awed by God, they're awed by the church and they get sucked in. And the angel said unto me, wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. That's the Antichrist and that ties in with the book of Daniel and all of that teaching the latter half of the book of Daniel. I'm no expert on this, by the way. Again, I'm giving you everything I've got. And every time I give it, I've got to go back and get more from the Lord and come back with it. So don't don't let the devil tell you I'm some kind of guru and um, or that I think that I am because I don't. I'm just bringing you the Bible today. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of the of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now that's pretty obvious if you've studied the history of Rome, if you understand the history of the city of Rome built upon the seven hills. In any case, we can move on. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet to is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now it says here, and he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast. Get this. These shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman whom thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, which again, I believe, points directly to Rome. If I'm wrong about that, let, I will um, receive correction when the Lord shows me from the word of God or at the um, Bema seat of Christ, that judgment seat of Christ. So here this fake church goes into the tribulation. The fake church, the great whore, is going to do even more against anybody that, eat, that gets saved, that tries to follow Jesus during the tribulation. But as that tribulation goes on, the great whore will be... Uh, lifted up, riding upon the great beast. The great whore will use its influence to help the beast come into power. And the beast will honor the great whore for a season. But there will come a time, and we'll read about this later in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, the Lord being my help, I'll preach it and teach it right. And that's the only way it will be right if God helps me, because I've got nothing without him. But in any case, here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find this man of sin um, being revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, verse 4, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we know from the book of Revelation that the false prophet will set up an image, an idol of the beast, and cause all in the earth to fall down and worship it. 
It is my opinion at this point, because I don't have scripture to tell you that's exactly, that this is exactly how it's going to go. It is my opinion that that is the point at which the great whore will be devoured and hated. And, And I believe there's reason to believe that, but I don't have scripture that absolutely emphatically says that. So I'm going to give it to you as an opinion that I believe is basically just an educated guess from study of the scriptures. So the great whore will be destroyed. The Antichrist will set himself up as God. And when he sets himself up as God, the fake church will be devoured. You say, well, what will happen to all the people? They'll bow down and worship the Antichrist. And by and large, the vast majority of people will switch in a heartbeat. They'll be singing praise and worship to Jesus. And the inner and the announcement will come on that nobody's allowed to worship anybody but the Antichrist. And they'll just go right on with their praise and worship. And they'll just change the name to the name of the beast, whoever, whatever that is. And they'll go on with their praise and worship services and everything else and they'll erect little idols of the Antichrist if they're allowed to do that and they'll all go to the Antichrist worship services and that will be the end of the fake church. That's where the mega church movement is going. That's where the contemporary church movement is going. And you don't have to like this. It's true whether you like it or not. Like we preached last time, the righteous judgments of God. God is righteous whether anybody agrees with him or not. His ways are righteous. And this is what God is going to do. This is what's going to happen to that. I don't even, I I don't mind naming them. If I get the names right, but I don't want to name people and misname them. That's the one thing holding me back from naming a lot of them. I don't even go watch their stuff. I don't listen to their stuff, but the stuff that hits me on the side as I go about my life, like that preacher up there in North Carolina, drinking a beer in front of his church family and then playing ACDC highway to hell on Easter morning, an extreme example of it. These guys are going to worship the beast. They already are. They just have the, the label Jesus stuck on it to get to to seduce you and to get your money from you for now, but they're going to worship the beast and this, and the beast is going to devour all those that don't worship the beast. Either way, during the tribulation, the fake church will end. It will end completely. It will be annihilated during the tribulation. You say, well, isn't that suffering? There will be some suffering involved, but they have not suffered like the true church and the saints of God have suffered. You say, haven't there been some Roman Catholic priests who've suffered and been killed and martyred? Yeah, there have been a handful down through the ages, but the Roman Catholic church has been the one that has drunk of the blood of the martyrs down through the ages. Again, if you suffer, but you're not following God, then what's the big deal? Peter says there, it's better for you to suffer for righteousness sake than for your own stupidity sake. And let me tell you, there's nothing stupider. I say this with love. There's nothing stupider than suffering for a fake church, suffering for a false idol, suffering for a false religion. There's nothing stupider. There's nothing more empty. There's nothing more vain than that kind of suffering. Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So there's the great whore being judged in Revelation 17, contrasted with the saints who have been judged, have been going through tribulation for 2,000 years. And the contrast there is very evident. 1 Peter 4.12, go there. 1 Peter 4.12, let's look at the suffering of this church. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He's not talking about getting bunions. He's not talking about hitting all the red lights in town. He's not talking about having the bank reject your loan for a new auditorium at your church house. He's talking about fiery tribulation. He's talking about a fiery trial. He's talking about persecution. The Bible says, and I didn't get the reference, you can look it up. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here he says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed. That's what this verse talks about. And to you that are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He says here, you're going to suffer. But then he says, um, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now this ain't rocket science. When Jesus is revealed, when Jesus is revealed and he recompenses tribulation and the great tribulation begins, if we're going through it, just how glad are we going to be? 
not glad. I know some of the ascetics out there and all that kind of thing have duped themselves into thinking that it'll be the best day in the world when, when real fiery tribulation and persecution and heads getting lopped off comes. I'm not for that. I don't like it. I'd rather stay out of it. I'd rather live peaceably with all men, if at all possible. I'd rather just have a quiet and peaceable life preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, if it's possible. You say, you're off a kernel. Well, fine. But that's where I'm at. In any case here, God is saying that you are going through persecution now. By the way, it hasn't worked out that way for me. I preach the gospel and trouble comes to me. And trouble will continue to come to me as long as I preach the gospel and to anyone else who really follows Jesus and preaches the gospel in the in the truth and in the spirit. In spirit and in truth. And here it says um, these, that when the glory of Christ is revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So here's this contrast that the church, the true church is suffering now, delivered later. The fake church living it up now, suffering later. And that's all through the Bible. Here he goes on. He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come, says Peter. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Do you see that today? The time is now come. The time is now that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly? and the sinner appear. Wherefore, let him, them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So here, this concept that the true church of Jesus Christ is being troubled now is being attacked now, but will have gladness whenever Jesus Christ is revealed is reinforced yet again in the word of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, dealing with the judgment. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, dealing with communion, he says, but let a man examine himself, in verse 28, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Get this and get it good. Write it down in your soul today. Write it down in your heart. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Do you hear that today? That we should not be condemned with the world. God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. Again, if you think that the harlot church is the true church, then you're going to struggle with this because you're going to say it's not really righteous. Yeah, that's because it's not really his church. His church is really righteous. You say, oh, no, no, it cannot be. Well, you just don't believe the Bible. I'm sorry. I can't help you if you don't believe the Bible. That's all I've got. I know you've read your books. I know you've got your smarty guys out there that know everything and write stuff that contradicts the Bible in the face of the Bible and rest of the scriptures, and you're following those men, but I've got to stick to the Bible. I'm not smart enough to go outside of the Bible, and I don't want to go out of the Bible. In fact, if anything, by God's grace, I hope to stay smart enough to stick with God and stick with His Bible, even if everybody else disagrees with it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Did you hear that today? Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You say, what does that mean, preacher? I tell the gospel all the time and I've never ever had anybody say anything evil of me. He says here, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know why people can preach the gospel and not ever have any trouble? Because they have no power. 
Paul said, our word came unto you, not in, or the gospel came unto you, not in word only, but in power. And when the gospel comes with power, people either run to God or away from God. People either get happy in God or angry at God when the gospel's preached in power. There's no middle ground when the light's shining. There's gray areas at dusk, but when the brightness of the noonday sun, there's no shadows left because the sun is overhead and dispelling all shadows. And when God comes and the light of the glorious gospel shines in power and his messengers, his witnesses have the anointing and power of God on them to preach the gospel, men are forced to react to the gospel. There is nowhere to hide. They must do something and they will do one of two things, either get converted or attack the gospel and the messengers of it. That's how it works. It's how it's worked since Christ came and it's how it worked in the Old Testament with the prophets in a different kind of way and it's how it worked in Acts and it's how it's worked ever since. When the gospel is preached in power, people have to react to the gospel and they will either attack the gospel or submit to the gospel. But the more power there is, there is the less middle ground there is and the less ability there is for people to try and ride the fence and say, stay stably one foot in the world, one foot in the church, faking it all their way. They're forced to make a decision because the line gets clear. It becomes black and white. You're for me or against me, which is what Jesus preached. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And whenever the power of God comes with the gospel of God, it separates and it divides. And the, just like Jesus said, he said, I did not come to send peace on the earth, but a sword. Praise the Lord. How about that? I know that that doesn't fit with the modern narrative, but it's true nevertheless. Now, um, here in Galatians 5, we're not going to go there. He talks about the offense of the cross. We're going to move on to um, rest with us. The offense, of the, the offense of the cross is a real thing. <coughs> Today, everybody wants to do everything they can to make the cross acceptable. To make the gospel acceptable, to not offend anyone, and to try and make it all as nice as possible to people. But if you're true, preaching the true cross of Jesus Christ, it is offensive. That doesn't mean that you have to be offensive. I've preached against that. For those of you that would come and accuse that way, go back and look it up. I've preached against being purposefully offensive or, or even being offensive through ignorance or stupidity as a messenger of Jesus Christ. God's not for that. But the gospel, the cross, is offensive. Now we have this next section of rest with us. Rest with us. And to you that are troubled, he says, rest with us. So here the promise here is of rest. The promise is not of fire. Do you notice that today? He did not say, and to you that are troubled, seven years of tribulation, three and a half years of torture chambers. He says, and to you that are troubled, rest with us. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse nine, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not appointed to wrath. Go to Hebrews chapter four. Let's look at this where he tells us to labor, to enter in, and where you have some of these verses that deal with enduring and holding on. He says here in chapter four, verse one, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. He said, but look at what he says in verse three, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So here, salvation is a rest. There's a rest in peace with God today. And there's a rest in the future that your judgment from God is allayed. It's set aside that you have been found not guilty in the courtroom of heaven. It does not say here, let us labor to enter into the kingdom of heaven through tribulation and fire and battle with the devil. And it says in verse 9, look at it, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And this is also a powerful passage of Scripture dealing with the Spirit-filled life. We're not talking about that right now. Verse 11, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. 
lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And he tells us that the ones that believe not, in verse 18 of chapter 3, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not, verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So we have this works salvation being taught today, that we're saved by grace through fire. That you get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you've got to endure to the end. And there's all kinds of different applications on it. You've got to live right. You've got to live it. You've got to stay in church. And then you'll have another group that says, well, I can, I can worship God in my fishing boat, but at least I believe, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to go through the tribulation, and we're going to be purified and made white. And however your different discussion and different beliefs is, if you're going through the tribulation, it's because you don't believe God. If you're going to go through the tribulation, it's because you are not appointed to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. You see, the tribulation is for the enemies of the cross of Christ. He just told us in First Thessal- in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 16, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You can go all the way back to Genesis. Abraham said, wilt thou judge the righteous with the wicked? If there be 10 righteous, will you not spare the city? And God said, I will spare it if there be 10 righteous. Let me tell you something today. If there are 10 righteous left on the face of the earth, God will not send the tribulation. The vials of God's wrath will not be poured out if there are 10 righteous because he is the judge of all the earth and the judge of all the earth will do right and he said so. And he said, I will not judge the righteous with the wicked. You say, they're not righteous, then they ain't saved. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. We're saved by grace through faith, not by fire. Go to James chapter 5. Let's look at that real quick. Lord, help me to stay in a reasonable time. Help me to get everything in that you want me to get in. Help me to be obedient to you and shut her down when you want it shut down in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the fire and wrath and indignation and famine and drought of the Almighty and the waters turn to blood and hath long patience for it until receive it. Is that what it says? No. Behold, the husbandman, that's the gardener, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This teaches pre-tribulational rapture of the church. How about that? You say, I don't see it. I don't. That's okay. But it teaches it. It's telling you here that we are waiting for the coming of the Lord, which will be the receiving of the precious fruit of the earth, not the wrath of God. He says, you need, you're going through tribulation like the prophets did, like Job did. You are in your tribulation now. But the precious fruit will be harvested. Just keep waiting for the early and the latter rain. Just keep waiting. In the end, God is going to harvest. In the end, God is full of tender mercy. God is very pitiful. Listen to me. Locusts with faces like lions, like men, teeth like lions, and stings in their tails does not speak pitiful or tender mercy to me. And it doesn't speak it to the world either. Read your Bible. It's wrath, wrath, wrath. After the church in the first three chapters of Revelation, you have wrath, 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 wrath of the Lamb poured out on this world. You say, why are you getting so worked up about this? We ought to all just be so erudite and educated and, and, and calm about this thing that we can all just agree to disagree. Well, I'm preaching the Bible. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm trying to preach the Bible. And there's no call for me to be calm about this whenever the Bible speaks it clearly and I'm preaching it. I'm just trying to preach God's word. I'm not trying to bark your tree. I'm not trying to make people out there angry. I'm not trying to start a fuss or a fight. I'm just earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. That's what I'm doing here today. And if you disagree, you have a right to disagree. I'm not fighting with you over your right to be wrong. 
This is what the Bible says. And I'm not saying that in pride. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says. And we've got to get back to what the Bible says instead of preaching doctrines and commandments of men. 1 John chapter 1. You say, boy, I don't like you. Well, listen, I hope you can get a blessing out of this. If not, shut it off and find somebody else. But I love you, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. I hope you'll read your Bible. I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll grow. I hope I'll do that, because I need to keep doing that too. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from how much sin? What does it say? All sin cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Do you hear that today? What the Bible is telling you is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So you want to tell me the church is going through the tribulation so God can purge it of its sins. You forgot to read your Bible. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You say, what about all these people that prayed and asked Jesus to save them? They're living like hell. Keep reading your Bible. And hereby do we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even even as he walked. Again, the problem here for most Christians, I believe, is that they have falsely included the false church in the church. And they think that the tares are part of the church. Jesus said, leave the tares. Don't pull them up. You'll pull up the wheat with them. But that doesn't make them saved. They're not part of the church. And they will go through the tribulation. And they are probably church members and deacons and pastors and missionaries and evangelists and revivalists and everything else out there under the sun. Be some apostolicesses and some prophetesses and all these other isses out there. There'll be all kinds of them that go through the tribulation who are not washed in the blood of Christ. But if you're washed in the blood of Christ, God says you are righteous. And if you're righteous, he will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Amen. By the way, that's the whole point of Second Thessalonians is to tell the church that they're not going through that. First and second Thessalonians was written to comfort the church that they're going through their tribulation now and rest is coming. There's no joy in looking to the coming of Christ. If you're looking at the things described in this in the Bible that will happen in the tribulation. If you're looking at it with any kind of honesty, if you want to rewrite it and, and say, oh, well, the blood moons, the blood moons, we're going through tribulation right now. You haven't got the foggiest idea how bad it's really going to be. The whole world is going to be sunk into such despair and such destruction that you have never seen before and nobody has ever seen before since Noah's flood. Apart from God supernaturally keeping people alive during the tribulation, everybody would die on the face of the earth. God will supernaturally keep them alive. It says in the Bible, men will seek for death and not be able to find it. Some guy will go running and jump off a bridge and fall 40 feet and hit a rock with his head and roll down in a ravine and get cut up and gashed up and stand up with half his blood spilled all over the ground and a crater in his head, moaning and groaning and start wandering through the forest, unable to die. That's the tribulation. That's what people will be going through. Men will gnaw their tongues for pain. Blistering heat. You talk about um, global warming. It's coming. Blistering heat, the Bible says. God will scorch the earth. He's going to turn up the heat of the sun. They're worried about carbon emissions when the reality is they got to worry about the sun because God's going to turn the thermostat up on that thing. And when he does, there's nothing they can do to stop it. You want to talk about melting ice packs. They'll melt. It's coming. It's coming. It won't be a global flood because God promised that won't happen, but it's coming. The tribulation's bad. Read your Bible. It's not like anything this world has ever seen. So here he says, 
When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, the latter part of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, and to you that are troubled, rest with us. When? When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We're just going to look at a couple verses. We're almost done today. Uh, go to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to try and find it here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with his angels, with the voice of the archangel. Now we're going to see as we study, Lord willing, tomorrow, Tomorrow, uh, verse 8, that the second part of the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord comes in two parts as lightning coming from one part of heaven unto the other without touching the ground and where he gathers up his church. And then again, seven years later, whenever he comes down and his feet touch the Mount of Olives and he splits it in half. And that is whenever that will be the finality of his coming when he comes in flaming fire, which we're going to see here in verse 8 in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the coming of the Lord is for vengeance on them that know not our Lord Jesus Christ and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of the tribulation comes with Jesus Christ coming for his church, a comfort and a rest. He's telling the church that is going through the tribulation right now. It's not always going to be this way. Right now, you're hated. Right now, you're despised. Right now, you're hunted. Right now, you're harrowed. Right now, everybody wants to kill you. Right now, everybody wants to silence you. Right now, nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody wants to be your friend. Nobody wants to have anything to do with you right now. But it's not going to be that way. Jesus is going to come and he's going to give you rest to you who are troubled, you that are attacked, you that are persecuted. You say, well, my church isn't persecuted and I've never been persecuted. And then I ask you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Know you not that Christ, Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. The Bible says, yeah, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you are either not saved or you're backslidden if you have not suffered any persecution. Again, I'm not saying you go and beat yourself up to prove that you're a real Christian. That's a bunch of hooey. But what I am saying is if you follow Jesus, you won't have to look for persecution. It will come to you. You will lose jobs. You say, well, I haven't really suffered persecution. I've, I've had my job for 40 years and I'm a Christian. Yeah, but have you ever really stood up for God at your job? Have you ever really lived godly in Christ Jesus at your job? Have you ever really warned your coworkers of the wrath to come? Have you warned your boss? Have you been a light in that dark place? And those of you that have know what I'm talking about whenever I say, yeah, and all who will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will lose jobs. You will lose friends. You will be lied on. You will be maligned. You will have things said about you. There'll be rumors started about you. You'll have job opportunities slip through your fingers. And even here in the United States where people are not having their heads chopped off for the name of the Lord Jesus today, those who love the Lord and look for his appearing and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are persecuted regularly in America and have been, always have been since America was a nation and before and always will be. God said it's going to happen. You will not ever get away from it unless you're just not godly. That's how you get away from it, by not being godly. But if you're godly in Christ Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. And God says here, and to you that are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So don't look for your, don't look for your rest now. Don't look for your relaxation now. Don't look for everything to be easy now. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a battle. There's going to be persecution. There will be jail. There will be lies. There will be newspaper articles. Articles. There will be striking. There will be buffeting. There will may there may even be even in America. There you may die for your faith. 
in America, if you truly stand with Christ and truly stand up for Jesus, you may even die for your faith in areas of the United States of America today, as much freedom as this land has enjoyed. But what he's saying here is that there is a rest coming. That there is a rest coming when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That there's a rest coming and we're to look to Jesus and we're to look to the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to look, we need to look to what's coming and not look to this life now. Father, in Jesus' name, use this message, I pray. Loose us from the lies of the devil. Lord, warn those that are part of the harlot church, fake Christians, phonies and frauds, Father, who will be left behind when you return because they're not real and they're not right. Even though they've got the bumper stickers and the T-shirts and the praise CDs and they go to church every Sunday and they give to missions and they help translate Bibles, just like you said, they'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not done mighty works in thy name and in thy name, thy name cast out devils? And then will I tell them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Father, turn these from their evil way, warn them through this message. Those, Lord, that are real, that are following you and that are suffering persecution, strengthen them to endure. Help them father to recognize that this life is a battle and a fight and it's going to be and not to look for good things in this life father but to recognize that god that you have made a way for us father and a place for us and that you will receive us into heaven lord someday because of the blood of jesus Lord, those that are trusting in their works or in their suffering to get to heaven and that think they're going to be purged through the fire to make them pure enough to get to heaven, help them, Lord, to see that all their righteousnesses are as filthy rags and trust in Jesus Christ alone and His righteousness. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. And for those, Lord, that are earnestly contending for the faith and might disagree with some of the things that I said, give them grace, Father, and help them not to take this as a personal attack, for it certainly is not, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give me grace for them and them grace for me and that we'd just be able to serve Christ and follow Jesus. We love you today and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>